Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, we heard from missionary Jaron Rogers in his sermon, A Better Burden. Pastor told me kind of what you guys have been, uh, been, been going over. I know the theme is obedience out of Acts 1.8. I want to spend some time there. Uh, I just tell you up front, my job is not to motivate you. I don't want to be a motivational speaker today. Uh, my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit will work through his word and impress it upon your heart so there will be true life change. And, uh, and so we're going to do our best to stick with what he says and not what Jaron says. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 through 30, before we read that, I want to uh, bring something to the forefront of our minds as, a, as kind of a way of introduction. And that is, uh, how many of you have heard of the story of Pilgrim's Progress? Raise your hand if, you, if you've read that story, if you've heard of it. For the benefit of those that haven't, A Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory. It was written by John Bunyan a long time ago. He sat in, a, in uh, I would say, a prison cell, but it was really a dungeon. He was chained to a wall, and uh, he was being persecuted uh, for the sake of the gospel. He was a preacher, and he was being persecuted for preaching. And as he sat there, he penned an allegory to the Christian life. I think it's important that we remember that as we uh, understand what he wrote. And in that story... In that allegory, uh, he wrote about a man named Christian, who was a pilgrim. And Christian was living his life, minding his own business, when, when an evangelist came into his town and preached the gospel. So Christian heard the gospel, and once he heard the gospel, he realized that he had an enormous burden on his back, an enormous weight on his shoulders. If you see uh, drawings and illustrations of this, you'll see that there's this man who is under this uh, enormous burden. It's like, it looks like a backpack that's twice his size. And he's laboring and hunched over this burden. The evangelist also says that if you'll go along this path, you'll find relief for your burden. So leaving all behind, he left his family behind. Uh, it was a journey that he had to take. His family didn't want to come. They had a burden, but they didn't realize they had a burden. And so he left. He goes on his own. Along the way, he meets a man who says, if you just forget about religion, you wouldn't remember the burden. How true is that to today even? And the message that is spread outside of the church and outside of the gospel. So he labors under this burden and he goes until he finally comes to Calvary. We know what happens there. He meets Jesus. And his burden, he finds out that he cannot relieve himself of the burden, but that Jesus can. And Jesus takes his burden away. And the story continues, and I won't go through all of it, but it continues. He labors through life. He glorifies God. He serves and until he finally comes to Zion. His trials and tribulations are not over. In fact, they may be increased afterwards, but he doesn't have that burden anymore, and he has Jesus. Now, I would like to add something to that. I'm not uh, questioning his allegory, but I do believe that in our culture today, we should add something to that. In his culture, in his time, People who followed Jesus understood something. That if I follow Jesus, there is going to be a price to pay. How do we know that? He penned it while being chained to a wall in a dungeon. But today, not many of us have suffered persecution for the cause of Christ. So maybe we need to add something to that. And that is what, when Pilgrim, when, when Christian came to Calvary and Jesus took his burden away that he was given a new burden, a better burden. And that's what I want to talk about today in Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 through 30. 
I'm going to be pretty upfront and simple today. This is what I want us to get from this. I'm going to give us three reasons why you should dedicate your life to the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. Three reasons that Jesus has for you of why you should dedicate your life to the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm a plumber, I'm a nurse, or I'm a doctor. Yes, I'm talking to you. Why you should dedicate your life to the Great Commission of Christ. And the first reason we find in verse 28 is that he has lifted your burden of sin. It says in verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and what? And I will give you rest. A very familiar passage, I'm sure, to most of you. I've heard it quoted many times. Very few times have I heard the, 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 the following verses quoted, but I've heard that verse quoted a lot. But in order to understand this passage, in order to understand the invitation of Jesus Christ, we have to understand the context in which this invitation was given. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, but that's not the first thing he says. It's an invitation, but given in a specific context. Now, this is a rhetorical question. Nobody answered this, but think about it in your mind. In that verse, to whom is the invitation given? To whom is the invitation given? Well, there it says, come unto me, and we would think, well, everyone, correct? Yes and no. Is the invitation given so that all could hear? Yes, everybody present heard the invitation of Jesus Christ, but Jesus names a specific people and invites them. And who are those people? Come unto me all, and it is qualified with you who labor and are heavy laden. Well, who are those people? In verse 20, it says this. Then began he, Jesus, to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. This is not a part of the ministry of Christ that we talk about often. Uh, In Texas talk, we would say that he began to chew them out, right? Maybe a more biblical word is he was prophesying against these cities. Says he began to prophesy against them, to upbraid them, saying that he had done his mightiest works in those areas and they would not repent. Very important theological truth here is that the miracles of Jesus and everything that was done, the purpose was not for the benefit of the recipient. Did they benefit from it? Yes, the blind could see, the lame could walk, the 5,000 were fed. They benefited from it. But there was an ultimate, more important purpose for his miracles. What was that? To show himself as the Messiah as Emmanuel, to show his authority that he had to prove that I am he that is sent from God, promised of old in the Old Testament of the prophet. He was the fulfillment of every prophecy. So he came and he spoke that and he preached that, but not only that, he proved it in every single miracle that he did. The greatest being the final miracle when he rose from the dead and authenticated every single thing he ever said or did. So here... He begins to prophesy, to upbraid these cities. Why? Because he did his mightiest works. He proved that he was who he says he was. And what was to be their response? To fall on their face before a holy God and beg for mercy. True contrition and repentance was to be their heart response. But what does he say? It says, verse 21, Woe unto thee, Cherazin! Woe unto the Bethsaida, these were cities in the day of Christ where he did miracles, where he did his ministry. And he said, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, and these were Old Testament wicked cities that the Israelites were very familiar with as being wicked cities. He says they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. 
Because if I had been there in their time and I had done the same miracles that I did in you, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. What is he saying? He says, if I had been there and they had understood who I was and understood that God was in their presence, they would have abased themselves, rent their clothes, uh, covered themselves with filthy ashes in a show of what their heart felt of true repentance before a holy God. He says this, but I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And you may not recognize those cities, but I bet you recognize these in verse 23. And now Capernaum, really where we think Jesus did most of his earthly ministry, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. You prideful religious city, you will be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, very familiar city, the most wicked, says it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Those are some heavy words. We don't have time to get in to all that is in those words. But this we do understand in verse 25. And we don't really understand, but this is what he says. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. You say, what are you talking about? In order to understand the invitation of Jesus Christ, we have to understand this. Jesus said it is hid from the wise and prudent and it is revealed unto babes. And then he says, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. Well, who are those who are laboring? Who is heavy laden? It is the babes. You say, I still don't understand. The best way I could illustrate it is the, the, the illustration that Jesus gave of the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee came before the congregation so he could be seen of men. He raised his hands and says, thank you, Father, that I am a good man, that I've obeyed the, the laws since my youth, that you made me a righteous person. And I'm not like that guy, a publican. And the publican was the one who everybody knew was a sinner. He wasn't wearing a suit. He didn't look nice on a Sunday. He came in. Everybody knew he's a tax collector. He's the drug addict. He's the alcoholic. She's the prostitute. He's a homosexual. And he came. But he would not come before the congregation. He didn't make it that far. He fell on his face. He said, Father, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that guy went home more likely to be justified than that guy. And to that man, Jesus says, come to me, and I'll take your sin away. He says, come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. Why are we bringing this up? Because Christian, we should not have to go beyond this point to know that we owe everything to Jesus Christ and we will never repay. If you are a believer, the defining point of your conversion of your life is that you understood who Jesus was and your response was repentance is that when you came to Christ, and maybe it was long ago, and maybe you've forgotten, and I'm telling you, you need to be reminded of who you were before you met Jesus. I remember, to my shame, one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned in my life. I was in Nicaragua. I came back from Bible college for, for a few weeks, and I was helping out with an event that we were doing at the very first church plant that we had in, in Didiamba that my dad was starting that I was a part of. Every chance I had money, I went back and I would help and I would be there and involved in ministry. And as I was there, there was a young guy, he's older than me, but younger in the faith, 
His name was Chepe, one of my dearest friends. He had recently come to, to, to know Christ. Our family met him. He was looking for somebody to disciple him. And here comes this missionary family walking up into the property that he was a caretaker of. That young man is a pastor now. He started his own church, and now God's given him another congregation. And he's starting that one as well. That time I remember being there with Chepe, and here I am, the one who's been saved for a long time, missionary kid in Bible college. We go out, and we're, we're kind of canvassing, and I'm supposed to be the, kind of the one in charge. There's me and Chepe, and there's a bunch of ladies with us, and, and as we were walking by, there was three drunk guys standing out in the corner. It was 10 in the morning. Very common in Nicaragua. These guys were disgusting. They smelled like urine. They've been drinking for days. They're saying dirty things to the women that are with us. And in my heart, I said, there's no way those guys are going to listen to me. They're standing on one street corner, and I walked to the other side. I literally walked to the other side and said, I'm going to find somebody who will listen. As I walked over there, I turned around, and I realized I was by myself. You know what Chepi did? He went straight for him. You know why? Because he was saved from that life. I saw this new believer. Had very little training, very little theological education, very little understanding of, uh, of the whole of Scripture. And he's over there and he's trying to share Christ with them. And he's doing it from Revelation. <laughs> Three drunk men and he's preaching from Revelation. And he is preaching to them and they are arguing with him. And I felt like I got slapped in the face. And the Holy Spirit taught me a lesson that day I'll never forget. I thought I was better than them, and I forgot who I was. And I went over there, and I shared with them. I said, guys, you have no idea what I've just learned. But I understand that we are no better than you. We're no different than you. And they looked at me. They literally all shut up and looked at me. And I began to share the gospel with them. And one of them stayed, and the rest kind of stumbled off, and he began to weep, saying, you have no idea what's going on in my life. You see, if we remembered who we were, there's not a person outside these walls that would not know about Jesus Christ. The weight of my guilt, sin, and shame was placed on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, and God punished his own son instead of punishing me. God crucified his own son when I should have been in his place. And I forgot about that. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. The invitation was to those who understood that the Holy Spirit had revealed in their hearts that apart from Jesus, I have no hope. And Jesus says, come to me, and you'll find rest. Come to me, and you'll find rest. If Jesus has saved you, we should not need another reason than to dedicate our life to the last thing that he commanded us to do. Go, and as you're going, tell everybody about me. Tell them about what salvation truly is. Tell them who I am. And when I do a miraculous work in their heart as well, then you disciple them and you teach them. And as you are going in Christ, you teach them so that they can grow and reach others. Why should you dedicate your life to the Great Commission? Well, first of all, because he has lifted your burden of sin. And I hope that you're reminded of what that felt like. The second reason is that he has given you a new burden, a better burden. 
This is the part that we often skip. In verse 29, it says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. This passage is so important to understanding what salvation truly is. It is not you're saved from your sin, now go and do whatever you want. We are saved for a purpose. Jesus is very, very clear about this. We were bought with a price. We are not our own. The Christian who is doing whatever he wants to do is in sin. In Nicaragua, we still use um, oxen. Here is a picture of a yoke. We still use oxen. We still have yokes in Nicaragua, much like the one you see uh, uh, behind the letters there. And, and there's two teams of oxen. There's one that we have that, that, that I, I guarantee you I, I see all the time. On Sunday mornings, especially as, as we were driving to Tiquantepe up and down the mountains, and they would go to get their water, especially in the rural areas where they had to go to the well to get their water. They would load their 50-gallon drums, put it on their cart. They would yoke their oxen, hook them to the cart. They would go get the water and then come back. There's two types of teams of oxen and two different masters. There's the one team that they are skinny and frail. If you see them without their yoke, what you'll see is wounds and scars on their neck. Their yoke is, is hewn uh, almost just with a machete. It's rough. It's not finished wood. There's no padding underneath it. And it's placed on their neck. They're not given adequate nourishment. They're struggling. They're not given any medication to, to, to help them with parasites. So even what they do eat is not benefiting them. There's flies around their wounds. And as they are pulling and as they are struggling, not given adequate nourishment, there's an incredible burden placed on their cart. And they're forced to walk up massive hills. And on top of them is a master who is beating them and wounding them and inflicting damage on them and forcing them to work until one day what will happen is they will die under the load because there's no way they can sustain that kind of burden. And that was us before we met Jesus. There's another team of oxen. Matthew Henry, the commentator on this passage, says that the yoke of Christ, the yoke, they're work animals, okay? You don't see an oxen like a little dog off playing in the yard. That's not his job. His job is to work, right? They're big, slow, dumb workers. That's what they are. We have these oxen over here, and Matthew Henry says the yoke is a yoke, but it's lined with velvet. It doesn't harm them. The master cared for it. He put adequate padding so that it wouldn't damage the oxen. I guarantee you I've seen it to where their master is skinny and frail and the oxen are fat and happy. Are they given a load? Yes, they're given a load and, and, and it's a necessary load. It must be done. And there they are. They're working and they're pulling up the mountain and it's hard work, but they're given adequate nourishment. They're given everything they need to accomplish the task. And before them is their master, not on top of them beating them, but pulling them up the hill. Jesus commands us to obey. He gives us a task. He's given us all the things we need to complete the task. The church, the word of God, everything we have. All of the talents as we learn in the youth today, we're given what we need to accomplish his work. And then in Acts, he gave us the Holy Spirit to go before us, to be the power. And he works with us and he does it for us. But they are work animals nonetheless. And Jesus says, 
At the cross, I will take your burden away and I will give you a new burden. Why should you dedicate your life to the Great Commission? Because Jesus gave you a burden. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Why does he say that? He says, I am meek and lowly in heart. He wants us to know that he's nothing like our former master. I'm not like that. He won't damage us. He won't do what is bad for us. It's good for us. It's what we're designed for. It's the best for us to glorify God our Father through the mandate and commission that Jesus Christ gave us. You know what? There's a second promise here in verse 29. Did you know that rest is promised twice in this passage? It says, come to me and I'll take your sin away and you will find rest. What does it say? Take my yoke, learn of me. Learn of me, understand, get, draw closer to me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and what? And you will find rest for your souls. Christian, you want to know why you don't have rest? You want to know why you have no joy and fulfillment in your walk with God? The promise is conditional. He says, take my yoke and work. Do what you're designed to do. And when you are doing that, you will find rest. Consumer, uh, consumerism and this consumeristic Christianity is never designed for joy. It's not about you. It was never about you. It was about Jesus and the glory of God. And when we get on board with that, we will find the purpose. We will find true joy. If you are not sharing Christ with those around you, how do you expect to have joy? You say, but it's hard. The Holy Spirit will help you. And I promise you, when you begin to do that, you will find what you were meant to do in life. Let's take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest to your souls. And then he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why should we dedicate our life to the Great Commission? It's very simple. He took our burden away. He gave us a new burden. And the last part is that his burden is his grace. His burden is his grace. We sometimes have a warped view of what we do for Jesus Christ. What he says here is, my yoke is easy. The word easy is not like you would think of easy, that there's never going to be any problems. We know that's not true, right? How many have problems? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you. Half of you have no problems. <laughs> it says, my yoke is easy. The word easy is, is a different word. It's used and translated in other parts of Scripture differently. In Luke, the word is used to communicate kind. In Romans 2.4, it's translated as the goodness of God. And in 1 Peter 2.3, it's used to refer to the graciousness of the Lord. What Jesus says is, my yoke is my grace. All throughout Scripture, test me, try it, prove it. All throughout Scripture, when Christians are given a task, or whenever Paul told the church what to do, 2 Corinthians 8, when he told the church about the Macedonian offering, about a sacrificial offering that was hard to do, he says, I want you to know, not about what, what they did that was so awesome, I want you to know the grace of God that was poured out on them, that they were able to do that. What Jesus says is, when you serve me, you are experiencing my grace. What does that mean? It means we don't, we don't deserve to serve Jesus. We don't deserve to serve and know the God of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who sustains creation in his hand, the one who has existed for all of eternity. We do not deserve the opportunity to serve him. 
but he has graciously extended you and I opportunities. That's why it's never an opportunity that you wait for. It's an opportunity that you look for. What if we didn't wait for the offering plate to pass by? What if we ran up here to it, right? What if we didn't wait for opportunities to share the gospel with others? What if we went to them? What if we didn't wait for a missionary to come? What if we looked for the missionary? It's an opportunity that we don't deserve. Jesus says it's a blessing that I would pour out on you. He says, and my burden is light. Why does he say that? He wants us to know the burden I have given you in comparison to your former burden is very light. Because we know we serve Christ. We work while it's day and night's coming when no man will work. When Jesus comes back, we will spend eternity with him. What a wonderful day that will be. But for now, we're oxen. And we're given a yoke. And we're given a collar. Why should you obey? Jesus told you to. It was the design from the very beginning. God planned in eternity past. He saved your soul. And he planned to use you and I for his purposes here on earth. What an amazing concept. We do not deserve his grace. We do not deserve the opportunity, but he's extended to us. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your savior, let me tell you this. You are laboring and heavy laden, whether you realize it or not. It is not something you can come to on your own, but maybe today, I don't believe in chance. I believe maybe you're here for a reason. Maybe today, Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God is working and you finally understand that apart from him, you have no hope. I pray that today you would run to the feet of God, that you would throw yourself down and beg for mercy. And he promises, he promises that he will supply it through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. I tell people all the time, Jesus lived a perfect life because you can't. The greatest commandment to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, we can't even do for an hour. And Jesus did it with every breath, every second that he was ever alive. He lived a perfect life because you can't. And he died on the cross when you should have died. And if you don't turn to Jesus, you will. And he rose from the dead, proving that everything he said was true and giving us, providing for us eternal life. Your responsibility is faith and obedience. That you today would forsake your sin. You would trust Jesus as your savior. The only way that you have any opportunity of salvation and that you would commit to serving him with the rest of your life. So let me tell you this, when you come to Christ, I don't know what picture you've been given, what picture you've understood, but it's not a picture of it's just eternal salvation and I don't have to do anything. There's nothing required of me. Jesus has done it all, but he commands you to serve him. And I promise you that you will find joy and fulfillment that you've never found elsewhere when you serve the God of the universe. Thank you so much for listening. 
For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.